This is the Living Out Podcast, and I'm your host, Darren Steele. Now, I want to take a moment today to explain a bit more about what living out the best of who you are means to me. I come from a, a long background of personal growth and personal development, and what I've been integrating with that foundation is social justice. Now, I'm someone who is a very strong advocate of LGBTQ rights, and I'm the publisher of thinkqueerly.com on Medium. So I bring all of these things together. It's a lens through which I look through, because personal growth, I I believe, is important. Personal growth, personal development, whatever you want to call it, better self-awareness, whether that come through studying, meditation, going to courses, this is the sort of stuff that makes us better human beings, gives us hopefully more emotional intelligence that allows us to function better in the world with all of the challenges and struggles that we face on a daily basis. But that can be insular on the one hand, because When we then integrate that with social justice, making the world a better place, if you are working on a bigger goal or your desire is to have an impact in the world or to just have an impact in changing a small group of people, that is social justice. And for me, historically, that social justice side comes through growing up in the closet, coming out as gay. And having to deal with who I was in the early 80s, not being fully accepted in the world in which I was living, being someone who was clearly not part of the status quo, and trying to find my place in the world. And I didn't want to settle for less. I wanted to make a difference. So when we combine these two things together, personal growth and self-awareness and social justice issues, I think we create something very powerful that allows us to potentiate greater change and have more of an impact in the world. So that, I hope, is a bit more of a clarification for those of you who have been following since the beginning about what living out the best of who you are stands for. So today I want to get into why I'm not good enough. And I say it like that because this is, today's podcast is based on an article I wrote towards the very end of last year, and it was called Why I'm Not Good Enough, My Dirty Gay Secret. And this idea came to me after reading um, The Velvet Rage by Alan Downs. And I'll put a link for that in the uh, podcast notes on my blog post. That gay shame is something a lot of gay men deal with. Now, we all deal with shame to different extent, whether we're gay or straight or lesbian or bisexual or trans. But gay shame has a unique container around it. And I've recognized, or I recognized at that time, that it's, that's been an undercurrent in my life. And 
so there's the intersection between having read this book and I was watching a video by another coach. <clears throat> and he was talking about the difference between guilt and shame. And what he said was, guilt is how you feel about what you did or didn't do. So, simple example, a good friend is in need, maybe they had a breakup and they said, oh, Darren, can can we get together? I, I really need to talk to you. I'm having a really tough time. And you say, sure, let's get together on Saturday. And then you, you don't text them because you decide to go to the beach. And, oh, I didn't do this. I'm just, <laughs> I just giving an example. So you would feel guilty because your friend was in need, but you went to the beach instead because you didn't do what you said you would do. Now, shame is how you feel about who you are or who you are not. So, shame is, is, is awful. Shame is terribly internalized because we look at ourselves, maybe we look at ourselves in the mirror, and having spent a good 12 to 15 years in the health and fitness coaching world, there was a lot of image, personal, physical image shame that clients had that I've dealt with as well. They look in the mirror and they think, I'm not good enough because I'm too fat, or I'm too skinny, or I'm too ugly, or I'm too old looking. I feel shame about who I am. And on a physical level, that's just horrible. But then we can feel shame about things that we haven't expressed, whether that be not having said to somebody you really care about that you love them, or not having apologized to someone about something that you did. So, I mean, that, 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 we can see how shame and guilt are closely related, right? But we're talking about the, the inner being of who you are or who you are not. So if you're someone who doesn't apologize, um, you could have guilt for not apologizing, but the shame would be that maybe you're someone who doesn't forgive. And that's probably you're someone who doesn't forgive themselves. So I want to go back and forth between telling my story and then elaborating a little bit more on these concepts and ideas just to make you know these things resonate more uh, by, with, with the truth of having experienced this. I have been challenged through most of my life with the shame around success. You know, and for someone who's maybe very uh, successful and they've, uh, they've achieved a lot of things and it's something that's a mantra to them, they might think, what the hell is this person's problem? And it's a form of internal judgment, a, a form of questioning myself, maybe not believing myself. And to, to an extent, we all deal with this, right? And on one level, it can seem really stupid. Like, why would you have shame around becoming successful? Well, I realized I was blocking myself from being successful. And I was blocking myself because I was hiding who I truly am. 
Now, I don't mean that I've been doing this currently or even in the last 20 or 30 years, but what I mean is having grown up in the closet, having had to hide my identity, and if you've had to hide who you are for a long period of time, that becomes training in your conscious and subconscious mind and the way in which you learn to adapt and deal with the world. So you shut down parts of yourself. It could be as simple as making sure you speak very deep and masculine and that you don't talk with a kind of a high voice or that you're very sing-songy as a man or that you don't walk with a limp wrist or moving your hips and showing off your buttocks or whatever the outward physical thing may be. You seek to try and fit in and suppress your identity in a world that is very scared, very afraid, <laughs> in a world that is scared and judgmental of anything that is different than is outside of the status quo. And <clears throat> being successful for me wasn't and isn't a problem. But somehow it became attached to visibility. Because if you're successful, people may see it in some way, shape, or form. So let's just look at some career examples of what uh, would be very visible as success. Let's say you're a writer and you publish a book, and it does well, however well it does. That's a level of success. It's a measure of success in this world, and people will see it. People may want to talk to you. They want to interview you. They want to get your autograph. You know, one of the highest levels of success in in our current North American world is either being a movie star or being a millionaire, but that's kind of no big deal anymore, so probably a billionaire. And then everybody wants to be around you because they want to model you. They want to do what you've done. And there's pros and cons to wanting to model people, but my path in putting myself out there online for the last you know 15 plus years writing online being vulnerable talking about myself as a gay man discussing my identity uh to help promote and speak about a healthy fitness lifestyle and then focusing on coaching gay men and publishing on thinkqueerly.com and working with other writers puts me in the public eye. If you make a mistake, and even if you do something great, (laughs) people may judge you and criticize you. And if they judge you and criticize you, you're probably achieving a certain level of success right? Because you're doing something that these people haven't. And it's very easy to be a critic. And I don't know who said it, but I've, that's a phrase that's stuck in my mind that, you know, often the people that are the critics are the people who can't do or are afraid to do the very thing that they are criticizing. So it was a fascinating Awareness for me to learn that, to discover that, that it, that it wasn't that I was afraid of success, that it was afraid of not being good enough. <clears throat> and we all experience this. 
We all feel at some time that we're not good enough. Hiding in that feeling is unhealthy. Looking at what the truth of that really is, is important. Now, without going too much into the science, neuroscience might suggest that our reptilian brain is protecting us. If we don't feel good enough, maybe somebody has made us feel bad about ourselves. And the truth of that is that somebody may have judged you, said something negative about you, but how you internalize and process that information is your own process. No one else outside of you is responsible for how you feel. But if you've always experienced negativity, if you've always been shot down by other people, well, yes, your environment is going to make it very difficult for you to see a way out. And there are stories of people that make their way out of this and, and, and you know, um, somehow something in them <clears throat> gave them the strength. But then there are more people who are very stuck in that kind of way of living And their shame lives and sleeps in their unconscious. And when that ancient mammalian reptilian brain experiences discomfort, it says either fight or flight. And if it doesn't, if it it looks around in the environment and says, okay, I don't have to fight anyone, I don't have to to, uh, to flee, the next level up in my brain is the mammalian, which is... the comfort brain. So it's like, hmm, I don't feel really good about myself. So I'm going to eat a tub of ice cream or um, I'm going to go have sex with someone else and I'm not going to tell my partner about it. Um, Because what the brain is looking for is a way to feel comfortable and secure and safe from not feeling good enough, we will take actions, even though our logical brain, our prefrontal cortex says, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. But it's more of our ancient brains that drive us to make ourselves feel better. So part of this is just awareness, becoming more aware of the patterns so that we can, over time, start correcting them. So I want to go back now a bit more to my shame story. So as early as five years old, I knew I was different. And I, you know, I didn't know I was gay. I didn't have the language for that. But I knew somehow I was different. I didn't fit in. And I remember in grade two, because I remember the name of my teacher, Miss Hickey, um, who was a great teacher and really helped me. I had really bad dyslexia at that time, turning letters around, not able to write very well, horrible ADHD. And I had a crush on a boy named Ted. And I didn't know what that meant. I just wanted to be close to him and I wanted to touch him. But as a, you know, in a grade two, however old I was, what, six, seven, um, it, it wasn't touching in a dirty way, in a way you would understand after puberty. It was just like wanting to be close to him. That set me apart. So my health, my dyslexia, my ADHD, somehow this closeness that I exhibited in wanting to be close to other boys, I found 
attractive showed the other boys that I wasn't right, that I didn't fit in. You know, right down to, you know, being the ADHD kid, being like a sickly kid. I had all these allergies. I was skinny and scrawny. I was the last one of the last ones usually picked for the team. And I was usually off on my own. I was never part of a group. I never felt like I belonged. And for most of elementary school, I think for nearly all of elementary school, I would have had one or two more or less individual friends, but never a group. And that extended even into high school through at least the first three, almost four years. I remember I had two kind of geeky, nerdy friends in grade nine and grade 10. And that set me apart even more so because then I was part of the geek group. I remember sitting at the edge of the cafeteria table by myself, eating in silence in high school. And then at that time, not feeling good enough, not feeling like I was one of the boys or even a part of a group, not feeling part of any team and not fitting in. You know, and the words that go around while you're in the closet at that time, you faggot, you're queer, sissy, loser, the questions, what are you, gay? What, you don't like girls? So those years of not belonging, not feeling like I belonged, and then wanting to hide who I was, not wanting to show any kind of prowess in any way, I graduated high school with a 51% average, not because I was stupid. I think in retrospect, not only did I still have some learning issues, but I, I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to be put in the spotlight in any way. I, I would walk the hallways with my eyes cast down to avoid eye contact and, and to arouse any kind of suspicion, you know? And it was 18 or 19, maybe it was, I think it was just after I had finally turned 19, a Gold's Gym opened up in Mississauga, and I went and I started working out because I thought having a more muscular body would make other men be attracted to me. And I was too young to realize that I needed to want me for me first, and that I was good enough as I was. So much so that I never had an orgasm during sex with another man until my first boyfriend. And I don't remember how long it took, but it was a couple of months with my first boyfriend who was patient enough and loving enough with me, who never made me feel ashamed for that, because I think he had his own... I know he had his own issues around being gay. We were both pretty young, 21, 22, that we were dealing with together as a young, first-time gay couple that when I finally did orgasm, oh my God, <sighs> what a fucking release and a relief to be with someone I was in love with. <laughs> Talk about holding yourself back, right? I had blue balls. And if you don't know what that is, that's just trying to come for so long and you either keep holding off or you can't. And then it hurts 
It begins to hurt in your nuts. I blue balls for me became almost normal for the first two and a half, three years of me having sex because of how much shame I've held for who I was. I felt ashamed of being gay. Now, of course, I'm 52. I have processed this. I have moved through this. I've also gone through a period in my late 20s and 30s where I was one fucking unhappy and angry and isolated gay man. And this comes right back to my introduction, telling more about what living out is. It was um, 34, 35, and I've talked about this elsewhere, when I discovered personal development and I was studying and I was doing this for about a year and I was going to conferences and then I had this breakthrough at uh, a personal development workshop long weekend where it was just quite simply, without going into all the details, I had this awareness that I was absolutely 100, 100% responsible for everything that happened in my life. No one else could make me unhappy. No one else could make me feel bad about myself. I could choose to let the outside world affect me negatively, or I could choose how I wanted to feel. And that was freeing. It's not that it became easier per se, but with that awareness, oh my God, I was so much happier. Did I have bad days? Fuck, of course I had bad days, you know? And sometimes there are days still, like mm, Friday. Uh, Thursday, I worked a ridiculously long day, 13 and a half hours, getting some projects done. And I, I was physically exhausted, but I also felt flattened emotionally. And I just recognize that for what it was, and in order not to be an unhappy, cranky, bitchy camper, I had to just allow myself to flow through that day, knowing that I'm exhausted, I'm overworked, I'm under-recovered, and I did the best that I could do to restore myself. And on Saturday morning, I felt like a million bucks. I was so much better. So throughout my life at different times, I've earlier on went to different psychologists or counselors, therapists to get things figured out. But it wasn't until I discovered coaching that things really helped me to understand more of myself and who we are, who I am in this moment. Good thing sometimes about therapy is there's a lot of stuff sometimes we do have to deal with in our past. But being coached, coaching myself, even coaching my clients, I grow. Because we realize we can make changes in the moment based on the choices we make and the perceptions that we have. And once we figure out our blocks, what's holding us back, we can change our behaviors. 
We can catch ourselves. So when I feel less than, when I feel judged, and I feel those feelings of shame coming on, I can look back and say, ah, I know where this comes from. And each time it happens, it becomes easier. And if something hits me that much harder as like a personal attack or a really difficult life situation that really hits me right in the shame center with my identity of you're not good enough, you fucking faggot, that can still hurt like hell. But I have so much more self-awareness to be able to come out of that more quickly. So knowing how shame has and still affects me, I recognize is the core of some of my talents or one of my talents. For me, I recognize that as empathy through my experience, through my unique suffering, through my unique challenges, through having to understand my identity when it was first blocked and being then ashamed of who I was as a gay man and then working through all those years of self-acceptance and self-love helps me bridge that gap with other people helps me listen to what people don't say when they speak to hear the silence the unexpressed emotions the larger semantic word field of the words that someone uses that they can hide behind And it's from this place of what's not expressed that I love helping other people explore their authenticity, their uniqueness, their identity to help them write a new story. And to bring this to a conclusion... Stories are what drive us. Stories are what we tell ourselves. Stories are what we read every day, whether it be fiction, nonfiction, or the news. And the classic hero's journey is considered a three-act storyline. It's the problem or the challenge, which is the act one. And act two is the journey. The going through it, discovering maybe where it came from, battling the demons, both internally and externally. And the final act, act three, is the resolution. However that, however that turns out, whether the hero succeeds or the hero dies and gets killed off. But there's awareness. There's awareness of what the journey meant And what one learns from the journey. And when you learn from your own journey, the things that are holding you back, the things that are 
boxing you in and you become more aware of them such that you can catch yourself in reaction instead of response, that's when you can live out all those best parts of you that you might have left in the closet, that you may be ashamed of, those parts of you that you don't feel good about. But what if, what if you looked at those and started approaching those just one small step at a time to experience what would it feel like if I did this thing which has made me feel bad or poorly about myself in the past? How would that change you? How would that improve you? How would that help you live a better, happier, healthier life and have the impact that you want to make in the world? So thank you as always for listening. Share your thoughts on my blog at darrensteel.com. That's where I have all the notes for this podcast and an opportunity if you want to leave me a comment or ask me a question. You can find my publication on Medium, as I said, at thinkqueerly.com. You can follow me on Twitter, just at Darren Steele. And more importantly, if you want to engage in a deeper conversation about living out, I've started a Facebook group, and it is the Living Out Experiment, or I should say it's just Living Out Experiment, not the word the. So if you go to Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash living out experiment, you can request access to that group. There's a few questions that you need to answer to tell me a little bit about yourself. And that's where we can talk more about the things that come up in these podcast episodes or areas in your life where perhaps you're feeling challenged about living out and how you can come to terms with experiencing those best parts of yourself on a more regular basis. Until next time, live out and live proud.